0: welcome to Word Online. Hello and welcome to series two and episode seven. This is Jesus's first cleansing of the Jerusalem temple and the passage we're going to study in a moment is in John chapter two verses 13 to 25. I'll read that in a moment. We've been following the narrative of the Gospels largely through the writing of John at this point in the story. And as we go through the Gospels, we lean on different narratives from different writers at different times as they carry the story forward. And at this particular point, John is carrying the story forward for us. And I just want to go back a little bit and to remind you that the whole process of Jesus' launch into ministry started when John the Baptist went down to the River Jordan and started baptizing uh, and preaching, confronting people with the fact that the Messiah was coming at a place called Bethany uh, on the River Jordan. And people came down from Jerusalem and Judea and the surrounding area. Large crowds came and were excited and animated by what John was saying. They were Uh, Intrigued. Uh, Then Jesus came down and was baptized, and we studied that in a previous episode. The remarkable event when the Holy Spirit came down on him in the form of a dove, and his father's voice spoke from heaven, saying that uh, this was his son with whom he was well pleased. Uh, Then Jesus went into the Judean desert and was uh, tempted by the devil for about six weeks, 40 days. Then he went back up to Jerusalem, back down to Bethany, the baptismal site where John was uh, staying for a period of time. He had followers there, people coming and going all the time. And Jesus was there for a few days. And five of John's disciples or followers uh, transferred their allegiance to Jesus. Um, Andrew. Simon, Peter, John, Philip and Nathaniel. This is all told in John's Gospel as we've seen in previous episodes. And then they returned to Galilee. So Jesus had been away from Galilee for some weeks, possibly months, um, in in order for all these events to happen. He'd left Galilee as uh, the son of Joseph and Mary from Nazareth, an ordinary man living a godly life. And he came back after these very dramatic events Uh, at the River Jordan and nearby. And then we saw when he came back, the first thing that happened was a social event. He went to a wedding with his mother and his family at a nearby village called Cana, which was quite near his hometown of uh, Nazareth. And there he performed his first public miracle, the turning of water into wine in order to help the uh, family Uh, who were hosting the event after they ran out of wine. This is the story that uh, we saw in the last episode when we were looking at the story of, of Cana. So one thing to notice here is that Jesus's public preaching and healing, which we're so familiar with, had not yet started. Here are some events happening in that intervening period between baptism Uh, when he's obviously being launched into the public domain in one sense, and his actual preaching, uh, which took place for a long period of time, especially in his home district of Galilee. That hasn't happened yet. So Jesus is not yet hugely well known. And uh, so the next event is very interesting. This, This event which we're looking at today doesn't take place in Galilee in the north of the country, Jesus has gone south again. He's gone back to Jerusalem. And John describes the fact that he goes during the feast of Passover. We'll talk about that in just a moment. And then something very dramatic and extremely unexpected happens in the Jerusalem temple. This is the first cleansing of the Jerusalem temple. The reason I say the first cleansing is because it's referred to, again, a second cleansing much later in Jesus' life. But this happens at the very beginning of his public life. So let's read together the story. It's uh, John uh, chapter 2 and verse 13. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem In the temple courts he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple. And I'll raise it again in three days. They replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs that he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. Now we know that Jesus had visited Jerusalem as a youngster because Luke records that at the age of 12, he came up to this same festival, the Passover festival, and came to this same temple and sat in the temple and debated with the teachers of the law and the priests about religious matters and the interpretation of the Hebrew scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. We also know that Joseph and Mary made it a custom to have a family group attending this particular festival. We know there were three festivals of the Jews, Passover, Pentecost and Tabernacles, three times a year, a major religious festival, and that Jewish men were obliged, where possible, to attend these festivals and to move from their country districts into the city to participate in the ceremonies. And their families were encouraged to come if they were able. This is all part of the judaism of jesus's day and so jesus now as an adult jew worshiping uh, in the synagogue with all the others in nazareth came to the festival he might have come on his own he might have come with others um, he certainly came with his disciples and we only know of five disciples the ones i mentioned earlier who are also mentioned in this text and so Jesus to be here was a perfectly normal thing. Uh, He was coming to worship and we've discussed the Passover festival um, in other episodes, that time when the Jews remembered the time when God miraculously delivered the whole Israelite community from slavery in Egypt and they came through the Red Sea into the desert and then some years later into the Promised Land. So that was the theme of the festival and Jesus comes up to participate in that festival. But it's the temple which is the focus of this particular event. Now the Jewish temple was a very grand and wonderful building. The first temple had been built by a king called Solomon. And it was such a grand and wonderful building that it was really one of the wonders of the ancient world in terms of buildings and people came from many different countries to see this huge, beautifully decorated temple building right in the middle of the Jewish capital city, Jerusalem. That temple was destroyed during the time of exile to uh, the Babylonian empire, and then was rebuilt subsequently. But what's happened more recently is that the king, at a slightly earlier period, who's now died, Herod the Great, who ruled for several decades. He uh, rebuilt and developed the temple, and that's actually referred to here in the text. And for more than 40 years, uh, there'd been rebuilding and development works going on in the temple in order to uh, improve it, uh, to expand it and to make it more ornate and more attractive. So that process had been going on for some time. So the focus is the temple building in this episode but very specifically the focus is on a particular activity taking place in the temple now the temple was divided into different courtyards and different areas and certain people were allowed in different areas the inner sanctuary the the most holy place or the holy of holies was forbidden for anyone to go except the jewish high priest but he could only do that once a year then Uh, Adjacent to that was a place where the priests operated, the holy place, and then uh, the main courtyard where the the men of Israel uh, could come. And on the edge of the temple were very, very large open spaces uh, where any person could come. And this included the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles. And so there's a very large area you can mill around and pray and socialize and talk on the periphery of this huge temple. And these outer courts were the location of the particular thing that Jesus found very offensive. What he discovered there was traders, people who were associated with the religious hierarchy, and they were selling animals for sacrifice, uh, and, and birds as well. That was one thing they were doing. The other thing that some were doing was exchanging money. Now, we need to understand why this had arisen. If pilgrims were coming from different parts of the country or even from other countries and they wanted to make sacrifices, for example, the sacrifice of a lamb at Passover, this festival, they either bought the animal with them, which, was a very demanding thing to do, or they bought one in Jerusalem. And so the buying of animals became a big business opportunity, the buying and selling of animals, and people entered into that. And this activity was then housed within the temple compound. The authorities allowed traders to come in and to sell animals for sacrifice. But there was another dimension to it because within the temple compound, the authorities said that they wouldn't use any of the coinage or the currency of the Romans, which was the currency used for money and monetary exchange. They had their own temple coinage. So the money changers would be used to change the money that we might bring, a person might bring into the temple, usually Roman coinage or perhaps some other coinage, into the temple currency. And then the temple currency would be used to buy the animals, which would then be sacrificed in the temple. That was the process that had happened. This market was controlled by the high priest and his family. And so it was called by the Jews of the day, the bazaar or the market of the sons of Annas, who was the patriarch, the father figure of the high priestly family. The bazaar of the sons of Annas. This is what Jesus encountered when he came to the temple. And his actions, which we've just read, were extremely sudden, extremely surprising, and extremely dramatic. In a mood of righteous indignation and anger, he took some rope or some cord and pieced it together to create a whip which he could use to attack the institutions and he started trying to scatter the animals from their pens and turn over the tables of the money changers and disrupt this market in the temple completely, which he did very successfully. It was challenging the corruption that had got into the religious system because the high priestly family and their associates made a lot of money out of this market. They controlled it, they set all the fees, they controlled all the traders, and money came to the high priest and his associates. Now these were people who were supposed to represent the people of Israel to God in worship. They were supposed to set an example, but their religion had become corrupted by money. When Christianity is corrupted by money, there's always trouble. And when Judaism was corrupted by money here, there was trouble. And Jesus spoke with these incredible words of indignation. Get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. He wanted the temple to be a place of worship and prayer and sacrifice rather than a place of money making and business and marketeering. And then Jesus goes on when the Jews started challenging him about his authority He makes this very enigmatic, this very surprising statement, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. They, of course, knew that you can't build a temple in anything less than several decades. It's such a huge building. So the the statement seemed absurd to them. But Jesus was pointing out that this physical temple was going to be replaced by another temple. And uh, it wasn't going to be a a building anymore through his body, dying and being raised again from the dead in a three day period uh, was going to come into being a different temple altogether. So something fundamentally was going to change. And this is uh, very clearly explained by Paul, for example. And I'm just going to read a couple of verses for you from Ephesians 2. Verses 21 to 22, it says, In Christ, in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple of the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now, in this passage, uh, Paul is taking the thought forward from Jesus' day and basically explaining that the believers, Christian believers become a living human temple, and God lives within us in the same way that in the covenant of Moses, operational in the time of Jesus, God lived in the temple. And originally when the temple was built, God's presence in the temple was felt very strongly and appeared in the form of of light and glory. So, that was the expectation of the jews but jesus was beginning to prophetically indicate there's going to be something different happening in the future where that physical temple is no longer going to be the place of god meeting man it's going to be through christ in the church and so you and i if we're christians we become the living temple our bodies the place where the holy spirit lives and the holy spirit lives in an even more obvious way when we gather together in community and function in Christian community. It's a very prophetic story, this. It's looking forward into the future and it's confronting the status quo. So here are my reflections as we bring this talk to a conclusion. First of all, this event is an indication of the forthcoming conflict between Jesus and the Jewish religious authorities. I've already mentioned, and I'll mention it many times again in the future, that that conflict accelerates and develops all the way through the life of Jesus until it comes to a climax in the last week of his life. The second reflection is that the temple was about access to God. And the process of access to God has changed fundamentally from that time uh, to now through Jesus dying on the cross, rising again and bringing for us what the Bible calls a new covenant. So the temple system with sacrifices, priesthood and uh, the, the festivals and its laws became obsolete when... Jesus died and rose again because a new covenant, a new form of relationship between God and man was initiated then. It's called the new covenant in the New Testament. What the writer of Hebrews calls a new and living way. We'll just read that text in a moment to describe this phenomenon for you. But this was very dramatically represented Uh, At the time that Jesus died, according to Matthew's Gospel, as we'll see when we study that passage later on, at the time that Jesus died, the big curtain in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies, or the most holy place, from the rest of the temple, the curtain that hid the presence of God from the people, the curtain behind which you couldn't go unless you were the high priest, once a year on a particular day the day of atonement that curtain which represented the separation of the presence of god from the people and the need to make sacrifices in order to overturn his wrath against us because of our sin that curtain huge great curtain that stood in front that the priests could see every time they came into the holy place that curtain was torn in two miraculously from top to bottom So what was closed in the time of Jesus, and in the time we're talking about now, became open. It's like the access to God was no longer going to be through this priestly system and through a Jewish covenant where very few non-Jews had any access to that relationship. This changes fundamentally. And so Jesus is beginning now the process of uh, helping people to re-examine the significance of the temple, which up until then was the center point of all Jewish religion. But Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 22, tells us where we stand now. So if you're a Christian believer and you're listening to this, this is your relationship with God. This is the new situation that came about that replaced the temple system. In Hebrews 10, verse 19, it says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, that's the equivalent of the inner sanctuary of the temple, by the blood of Jesus, that's the method we enter, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain, That is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. So, the wonderful thing is that in the new covenant that Jesus brought about, The complexities and the structure of this temple system are no longer necessary. The the access to God, which was restricted and complex, is now very simple and open. We can have access to the direct presence of God through, as the writer describes here, the blood of Jesus. In other words, the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, the atonement, the situation where he substituted for us. He paid the price for our sins. He was the ultimate sacrifice. No more animal sacrifices needed. Therefore, no marketplace needed, no animals needed in the temple, no money changing needed, no physical temple needed. The Holy Spirit leads us into this new and living way. Another thing to reflect on is the fact that Jesus showed tremendous courage here. It's very easy to underestimate the courage of Jesus, but he was an unknown man at this point. His public ministry hadn't really started. There'd been the big incident down at the Jordan River, but that was just a single incident. There'd been one miracle in Galilee, which they wouldn't have heard about here, and that was it. And then suddenly he confronts the whole system. He could have been arrested on the spot, but he got away with it. God, his father was leading him through and he confronted the system. He pointed out what was gonna happen in the future. I want to just conclude uh, this episode with a little reflection on the question of anger. Jesus's actions were linked to anger he was very angry. His actions were dramatic and forceful. Now, anger is a very difficult emotion for us to deal with, and sometimes a huge problem for Christians and those seeking to follow Christ. So, how are we to interpret this kind of incident? First of all, we know from our studies so far, and we'll continue to see this as we go through the life of Jesus, that he did not sin. He hadn't any selfish motives in his actions, but he also experienced and expressed a full range of human emotions, from tears of sorrow to laughter and joy, to expressions of appreciation and satisfaction, uh, to gestures of kindness, uh, to anger. So we have the full spectrum of human emotions. Jesus was utterly Human, But his emotions were not touched by or influenced by selfishness and sin. And therefore we can describe this as righteous anger. He was angry on behalf of the truth and on behalf of his father, God the Father, whose house the temple is described to be. So this is what we can genuinely call righteous anger. But we can also say that we, you and I, rarely experience righteous anger. Most of our anger comes from a sense of frustration of our own selfish needs and desires. People standing in our way, people coming against us, and we get angry. What's the advice that the New Testament gives us concerning anger? Well, the simplest advice is very specific. Paul, in Ephesians 4, verses 26 to 27, indicates how Christians should respond to anger. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Paul is saying that anger as an emotion will take place and we should expect that. That's human. But he's encouraging us to control that anger and to deal with it very quickly and to deal with any selfishness that's associated with it. We need to learn the difference between righteous anger and selfish anger. Well we're going to end that episode there and we'll move on and see in the next episode other things that happen while Jesus is making this early visit to Jerusalem. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more visit wordonline.org.